Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Okay, a few updates here to the website, AmericanEducationFM.com. If you are curious, you can bounce over there, and there are two very specific updates that I have that may have be that may be of use, I hope anyway. First of all, when you scroll down, you'll see a section now titled Education Documents, much like, again, I have the section titled Government Documents and Medical Documents. Under Education Documents, you'll see, again, it's a a picture of a bookshelf with a lamp hanging in front of it. When you click on that, I've updated the Homeschooling Resources PDF. That's the very first document that you'll see under the Education Documents and Links section. And I highly recommend checking that out again. If you, if you yourself are wanting to educate yourself about particular homeschooling programs and all the resources that exist, there are numerous links and websites on that PDF. The same thing goes with anybody that you know who is interested in it or looking for information, or again, maybe they don't have access to that kind of information and they're scatterbrained about where to get the information. Uh, it's all right here. So yeah, or at least a great deal of it. I'm sure not all of it's here, but you know what I mean. A great deal of it is there, and I think it's a, a rather useful PDF. Again, plenty of websites, plenty of uh, organizations, names, you name it. So there's that. The second portion is if you scroll down just a little bit more, you'll see the medical documents section. And if you click on that, you'll see again all the normal stuff that I have there the link to Life Extension Supplement website, ivermectin.com, same thing the FLCCC Alliance Protocol, vitamin and nutrient list, things of that nature. And then I have three tabs for detoxing. I came across this, well, I I would basically say it was a, uh, oh, I don't know, it's eye-catching. I'll just put it that way. It's an eye-catching, not a meme, but certainly like a poster diagram that includes a number of different ways, three, as it turns out, three particular ways to allegedly detox from the jabs. And it suggests a number of things that people can do. Um, so I highly, again, I highly recommend checking that out. That's under detoxing number one. And if you click to download, again, the image itself will pop up on your phone or your computer. You can take a screenshot of it, do whatever you'd like. Download it, send it to a friend, whatever it may be. Who knows? Use it yourself. However, uh, you know, whatever you see fit for it. So just wanted to bring that to your attention, and there you go. That reminds me of of one particular thing that I want to mention here before I get into some education stuff. There's a there was an interesting guest on on Stu Peters the other day. He's this Jewish doctor, um, and he was making he was making a, a rather bold claim, which, as it turns out, doesn't hold any water. And I'm going to be specific, well, as specific as I can, I guess, because I, I don't know why he would say this or why he thinks this would make any sense. Um, he basically said, again, first of all, that there's no avoiding the jabbed, that there's no avoiding the bioweapon, and that it's going to impact everybody no matter what, and there's nothing you can do to escape it. That's not entirely true. And again, therein lies sort of. I would say one of the larger problems and, and a bit of the fear mongering that goes along with it. He was making the implication 
that the nanotechnology that exists within apparently, I don't know how many shots or you know what, what percentage, but he was making the implication that you can't escape even that technology from being shed on or you being shed on by individuals who have that technology within them. So let me go through this as, as briefly as I can and as simply as I can. We know that many of these shots, again, have na nanoparticle metals in them. We are well aware of that. And again, I'll get into the jab stuff toward the end as I typically do, but I just wanted to mention this at the very top here. If individuals have that in them, and not all individuals have that in them, we can assume, then how is it, does this, basically, does this guy think that that kind of technology existing in a person who has been injected could shed that onto a person who is not injected? And the answer is, is you can't. So imagine this. Imagine that in your hand, you're holding a small strip of aluminum foil, tin foil. Like the kind of stuff you'd cover a bowl with or, you know, wrap up some chicken wings in or whatever. You can't, if that exists inside of a human being, you can't get that from you into another human being without doing a couple of things. Ingesting it orally or melting it down and then injecting it directly into your bloodstream. You cannot shed that onto another person. Which then begs the question, what is the shedding? The shedding has to do with disrupting your immune system and, your, and the cells in your body and your natural immune response via electromagnetism, as you've heard me bring up a million times on this show. And as a result of that, it causes your body to start making spike proteins at a rate that it wouldn't normally make them. Now, your body already makes spike proteins, and it has to. It's a self-defense mechanism. That's the way that our immune system works. The problem is, is that production of spike proteins can be so amplified that, of course, a person can become ill from being shed on because, again, their immune system is kicked into overdrive when it wouldn't normally be if they weren't around these people. But the implication that the doctor was making was that the actual nanoparticle metals that are inside of the people who took the jabs could be shed on to another person. I don't believe that for a minute. Like I said, that would be like you having tinfoil in your body, and then you can just magically leak that tinfoil over to another human being. That's not true. That's just not true. And that's not the way that this works. Again, electromagnetism is what is causing the amplified spike proteins within the body. Again, not a medical doctor. I'm simply saying that this is based on all the observations I've made, the reading I've done over the last number of years here. That's what's going on. Again, does 5G have anything to do with that? Of course it does, because it's electromagnetism and it's electromagnetic radiation and it's electromagnetic frequency. That's going to disrupt the cells in the body. But that's going to have more of a negative impact on the people who are already jabbed, as opposed to those who are not. It's not to say that it's not going to hurt the people who aren't jabbed. 
it certainly will. Like you've heard me say when I was in San Antonio, there's no, there's no way that I wasn't shed on in walking around, and there's no way that, uh, th- that I wasn't experiencing electromagnetic radiation as a result of being on the river walk and walking around and I mean that in that enclosed and it is enclosed it's a you know it's just an enclosed environment of nothing but Wi-Fi networks and everybody's walking around with their cell phones on and their bluetooth on I mean I was getting hosed as I'm sure other people were too but that has nothing to do with a jabbed person moving the nano medical particles inside of their body over to me. That that wasn't the case. What was happening was is the spike proteins inside of my body were having were being amplified essentially. And so that that really is I mean that's the issue here from a health standpoint for for those of us that are not jabbed. And it's a tall order. I fully understand that. The the request that essentially has to be made in the thing that you know people have to do regarding all of this which is stay away from high electromagnetic fields of any kind wireless environments things of that nature certainly 5G towers and then stay away from the jabbed and of course don't inject yourself with anything and don't ingest such things in pharmaceuticals and so on and so forth but i just wanted to mention that because again there's no way to transfer a microscopic metal particle inside of the body to another person via electromagnetism. It does not work that way. If that exists within the shots, as I'm, and I'm sure it does, then the only way it would be transferred from person to person would have to be, again, either through sexual contact and fluid exchange or breast milk, and, of course, blood donation. And, of course, if it exists in the saliva, then I, I suppose that's possible, but this is something that's traveling in the bloodstream. And we know, again, that it's hitting every major organ system and, and, uh, and body system that we have. So it would be ludicrous that it wouldn't, wouldn't be able to be sexually transmitted. And we know that things like this have traveled through breast milk because it's killed babies who have breastfed from their mothers. They're also, of course, spreading spike proteins to these individuals as well, and that's amplifying their immune response even more, and there you go. So, yeah, just wanted to bring that up. I thought it was a bit odd. It was a bit, uh, it was a bit out there. It's quite a tall order. And again, you, you can't move an object inside of your body that is artificial like a piece of metal to another person through the air via electromagnetism. It it does not work that way. Okay, just wanted to bring that up. Just kind of want to get that out of the way. Uh, Again, I I know that there's a lot of people out there saying a lot of different things, even today, but we we just have to be able to arrive at some logical conclusions here and, and be able to pick out individuals who are saying particular things that just make no sense whatsoever. So again, I don't know that particular doctor's intent. I know Stu Peters has had him on a couple of times, but whatever. That was a weird thing I caught. Anyway, on to education-related things, and there are a ton of things to bring up here. First of all, I have a reoccurring question that comes to mind on a semi-regular basis. Not always, but every now and again it sort of floods my brainwaves. And uh, you may have had the exact same question come to you, in particular listening to this show. 
And I would really like an answer. I mean, I, uh, you know, I, I can speculate as the day is long. I can arrive at certain answers, I'm sure. But ask yourself this question, because I ask myself this on a semi-regular basis. Why is it that there isn't any mainstream outlet, even these so-called awakening radio programs and the radio stations that have a variety of different hosts and a variety of different programs, why do they not have a show dedicated to what is really going on in American education with any regularity whatsoever, specifically hosted by someone who is qualified to discuss it. Why does that not exist? And again, I'm talking about shows like, or channels even, like Real America's Voice, The Blaze, um, any major radio station, WMAL, Washington's Mall. I mean, you can pick one, but why is it that these stations and these companies, these massive companies, don't have anybody who has a show strictly dedicated to what is going on in American education regarding a variety of issues? It's beyond suspicious, is it not? I mean, again, I, I think we know the answer, that they haphazardly talk about education subjects because they want to sound like they're ex- experts in the field or that um, I don't even necessarily like the word expert, but they talk about it as if they know all of the inner workings about it or the vast majority or that there's no one basically out there who could possibly know more than they do about it, which is exactly why they just sort of haphazardly bring up a particular story. And they might interview somebody briefly, and then that's the end of it. This is a subject, ladies and gentlemen, that is the root problem of most of our problems. And again, I I could be wrong. And to be frank, I hope I am. But to my knowledge, this is the only show that exists with someone talking about the subject of education and all of the different angles and the giant Venn diagram of everything that is impacting education and then in reverse order also, how education impacts everything else. And I just don't know of another show that exists that does that, specifically by someone who has been in the business. Again, it's, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not necessarily tooting my own horn, and I'm certainly not interviewing for another position. I'm just saying that I just don't know of another place where this gets handled with such regularity. Uh, and frequency. I would sure hope that there's another place, but again, I, I don't know of one. So if you know of one, let me know what that is. I'd like to, uh, I'd like to give it a listen. You may recall those uh, silly, silly women who had, uh, who had that show. I believe it was based out of Indiana or Tennessee, one of the two, maybe even Kentucky, but it was that podcast called Teachers Who Drink. And it was just two loudmouth women who couldn't string a sentence together without sounding like complete buffoons. And they, of course, no longer have one. There's another show I know that I've criticized here before, and it's a, it's a YouTube podcast, and I think they actually have a podcast. In fact, I've even forgotten the name. 
but it's a bunch of female teachers and it's a bunch of gay teachers and they all get together and they basically just talk about what they think they know about the teaching profession. And that's essentially it. It's rather useless. It's, uh, it's not exactly a thinking show, but yeah, I mean, that's really, that's really about it. But again, why is it that the larger companies that claim to be awake, like the Blaze or all these other places, and I'm even going to bring this up, I mean, even the Daily Wire, you know, why doesn't the Daily Wire have a host on their show that specifically covers the subject of K-12 and higher education? It's almost as if all of these, oh, I don't know. I mean, I guess all of these groups, these companies, and certainly the people who run them at the very top, they're all interested in maintaining the American education system as they know it. They have no problem criticizing it, but they don't want to take it to the length, to, to, to the actual length, to where they believe that it will cease to exist, like I do here. Because it will cease to exist. And it's pretty clear as to why that's the case. But this is, again, this is one of those things that they just don't cover with any regularity and they don't have, a, again, a specific show or a host that, uh, that they pay to do it, which I think is funny. But I think that's why I like this show so much and I like all of you listening is because I think I'm trying to do that here. I mean, that's kind of the point of the show. <laughs> I mean, it is the point. But yeah. So hey, if that means that we're, uh, you know, on an island by ourselves, great. I'm all for it. I wish that wasn't the case, but hey, if it is, then so be it. Let's keep going then. All right. Let me dive in here. A couple of headlines. First of all, from the last episode, you heard me bring up a book that Sicily told me about regarding Charlotte Mason and the author Charlotte Mason. I, I tossed that up on Gab, and I immediately got a reply back from a mother, a single mother, I might add, who had a full-time job and homeschooled her daughter, and homeschooled her daughter using Charlotte Mason's books and what she sent me, which is called the AmblesideOnline.org website. This is also, this particular website is also on that homeschooling resources document on my website, which I mentioned earlier. I highly recommend checking this out. It is, again, a supplemental homeschooling curriculum that you can use. Uh, it looks super legit, super cool. It has every single year that you could possibly imagine uh, from year zero or kindergarten through first all the way through high school. Uh, lots of frequently asked questions, lots of lots of resources. It's just very it's very well done. So it says Ambleside Online is a free homeschool curriculum that uses Charlotte Mason's classically based principles to prepare children for a life of rich relationships with everything around them, God, humanity, and the natural world. It says, uh, let me see here. I'll keep reading a little bit. It says AO's detailed schedules, time-tested methods, and extensive teacher resources allow parents to focus effectively on the unique needs of each child. Ambleside Online hosts a large collection of original Charlotte Mason materials which have been digitized by our volunteers. 
In addition, our community offers a wide variety of resources for homeschooling parents and Charlotte Mason educators. A support forum, a archive of wisdom from experienced Charlotte Mason educators, as well as original and current books and articles about Charlotte Mason's living, ide- living ideas. There you go. AmblesideOnline.org. A-M-B-L-E-S-I-D-E. Give that a look. And by the way, again, the person who uh, sent this my way on Gab, thank you if you listen to the show and thank you for sending it. Uh, I liked how they said, and oh, by the way, I was a single mother with a full-time job and I, ho- I homeschooled my, my only child, my daughter, which of course begs the question, what's your excuse? Because as we know, we hear countless people say, well, I work full-time, I'm a single parent, etc., etc. And they come up with, of course, countless excuses as to why they can't homeschool their children. The thing that, of course, they should be paying attention to, I would hope, is that it's what you teach your child away from a quote-unquote school setting that really matters. Are you teaching them to be vigilant? Are you teaching them to be civil? Are you teaching them to not answer the door if if someone knocks on it when a parent isn't home, uh, you know, making sure that they have access to your phone and your phone number in case they want to call you and 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 ask you a question or tell you that something is going on when you're away from the house. You know, this uh, I understand society is changing, but we have a responsibility, I think, to pass these messages along to as many parents as possible. That look, you can leave your children at home. Yes, I'm not recommending leaving a toddler at home. I'm not a crazy person. I'm talking about an individual who, again, is of later elementary school age and certainly middle school and high school. There's no reason why these individuals shouldn't be homeschooling. Uh, and again, as you've heard me bring up here, the ridiculousness and, and, and the crazies are just ramping up their behavior within these school environments, and it's going to get worse because the entire system is crumbling. So. Here's another resource right here. Again, amblesideonline.org. Check that out if you're interested. Okay. A few more headlines. Again, if you needed another reason to homeschool. Unfortunately, well, I shouldn't say unfortunately. Fortunately, this is being banned from numerous states. And unfortunately, it's something that actually has to be law because this is how crazy things have become. Uh, 19 states now ban trans athletes from sports, and Wyoming is the latest. So there's that. So don't let, uh, you know, don't even let the mainstream media tell you that, uh, that this is becoming a bigger, bigger problem. It's not. The problem is being squashed. And there are 19 states now that do not allow trans athletes to play sports in the other leagues, so to speak. If Billy thinks he's a girl, well, he doesn't get to play on the basketball team. And that should be an indicator to all the other states. Hey, look, we're making this illegal. That doesn't mean that you're ahead of the curve because Billy's allowed to play on the girls' team. That's not what it means. It means you're behind the curve and you're so far behind you look like a crazy person. So there you go. Sarah Sanders in Arkansas signed a bill into law that uh, trannies cannot use whatever bathroom they want, and they can only use the bathroom that uh, fits with their biological sex, of course, that they have at birth. 
the fact that this has to become law <laughs> should indicate the state of affairs, should it not? But uh, yeah, at least it's becoming a law to make sure it never happens again. Excellent. One more uh, jab-related thing here very quickly. A Peter Badu at MIT in the Department of Mathematics Instruction is dead at the age of 29. He was respected and a admired scholar, teacher, mentor, and colleague. And the one credential they leave out of Peter Badu is that he's a vaccine expert now because, uh, well, he's probably three deep and now he's in the ground. Again, not trying to be tasteless, but, you know, these people. Okay, now on to this, and this is a big one, and my apologies for not bringing this up. In fact, a a listener of the show emailed this to me, and I said, "I'm, I'm kicking myself because I knew about this, but I didn't dive into it in previous episodes, so now I'm going to. You may recall that at the beginning of the 2022-23 school year, that the Los Angeles School District, or Unified School District, as I'm sure they like to be called, many of the students within decided to not show up on the first day of school and certainly within the first week. So much so, in fact, that the mayor of Los Angeles started to go door-to-door beforehand to remind students and families that they needed to come to school. That's quite a state of affairs when the mayor has to go door-to-door to to tell you to come to their school buildings. That means that they are financially crumbling. So I'm sure some students returned. I'm sure plenty did not. And that leads now to this, which shouldn't surprise anybody. Uh, NationalReview.com, title, Classes Canceled for Nearly Half a Million Students as L.A. School Employees Strike. They are uh, striking for unfair practices, as some of their placard signs say. We want to do more than survive. We need money. So it's now all about money, dis- uh, disputes over wages. And this right here, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to read into it, but it should prove to you and everyone else that it's always about money. You see, now, They don't care about students. They don't care about parents. I have a story later that will prove that beyond a reasonable doubt. And uh, and they frankly, they don't even care about small class sizes because now they probably have the smallest classes they've ever had. Remember how that was always a complaint in the old education business? Our classes are too big. There's too many students. Uh, you're going to have to pay me more to deal with all these students and blah, blah, blah. They'd say kids, of course, all these kids. I'm telling you what, with every passing day, the hypocrisy just comes right to the top. It just filters right to the top. Here we go. Los Angeles Unified School District employees went on strike Tuesday, canceling classes for nearly half a million students as negotiations with administrators failed to resolve an ongoing dispute over wages. They're going to have to print this money at the Federal Reserve, ladies and gentlemen. They can't possibly get more money because they're getting less students. It says roughly 30,000 teaching assistants, custodians, bus drivers, and cafeteria workers began the three-day strike in order to secure a 30% increase in pay. Good luck with that. Alberto 
Oh, God, last names. Carvalho, I don't know. The superintendent of LAUSD. The second, oh, yeah, my apologies. It was the superintendent who went door to door in Los Angeles. It wasn't the mayor. I wouldn't be surprised if the mayor did, but it was this uh, Carvalho guy. Anywho, it says the second largest district in the nation implored cooler heads to prevail as the city continues to grapple with residential learning loss from the pandemic. There's that old yarn excuse. Quote, we do not need to debate or litigate the fact that during the pandemic, kids lost a lot of ground. He tweeted Monday afternoon. Students cannot afford to be out of school, and that is why I am appealing directly to the union leadership to engage and negotiate in good faith and find a solution that addresses the needs of all, including our students. They're insolvent, ladies and gentlemen. They're insolvent. You can't possibly pay anybody anymore with money you don't have and money you're losing on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. I love it. These people have absolutely no idea what they're doing. I absolutely love it. Okay, uh, let's see. A union executive uh, for being uh, accused the superintendent of being out of touch with the general public. Quote, I don't think he has any moral authority to walk around blaming our members for the schools being closed or the learning loss that may have happened. Pointing to his $440,000 annual salary the superintendent makes. He makes as much as Anthony Fauci. He makes more than the president of the United States. But don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, it's about the kids. It's all about the kids. It has nothing to do with money. I, I hope they fold. I really do. I hope they fold. Same thing here. Uh, LA's school unions are coveting children all over again. Again, they're not in school because of the strike. The strike is continuing. And they're saying, again, learning losses because of the pandemic, and it was their own decision-making during the entire thing, of course, that led to all of these problems. And it, it, again, you don't need a brick-and-mortar building to learn. That's the biggest problem here. That continues to be one of the largest psychological operations that's taking place and will continue to take place, is you have the entire government and the system itself tricking families and children and human beings into believing that if they aren't in a school building, they cannot learn. Absolutely ridiculous. No one's going to convince me the Matrix isn't real. The Matrix is most certainly real, and that right there is a big, big part of it. Uh, let's see. Okay, here's more proof that they hate your children. Oh yeah, and that they hate you as a parent. And this is coming directly, I might add, from the National Education Association, the NEA. Uh, this was tossed to me by our excellent educator in Louisiana. They said the, it's titled the following, rather, Us Versus Them, A Toxic Vision of Parent Engagement. The so-called Parents' Bill of Rights, quote-unquote, being debated in Congress will increase book bans and undermine local control and educator autonomy while doing nothing to promote authentic, constructive parent involvement in schools. Some key takeaways, according to them, although I'll read through uh, certainly some of this, and I'll even play a little audio 
from their Instagram account. I'm sure that'll be rich. Key takeaways, it says, number one, according to the public opinion surveys, parents have a high level of confidence and trust in their children's teachers and schools in their community. Bullshit. Number two, that hasn't stopped right-wing lawmakers from attempting to sow distrust between parents and schools by imposing book bans and curriculum restrictions all under the guise of parents' rights, quote-unquote, and transparency, quote-unquote. Unbelievable. And number three, the National Education Association is urging educators across the country to speak out against the Parents' Bill of Rights Act, H.R. 5, currently being debated in the House of Representatives. You know, there's so many angles here. So many angles. The, the best way to have parental rights over your child's education is to not participate in government education, period. That's the fastest way to handle it. You don't need a bill. You just remove them from these indoctrination camps and these abusive camps. That's the first thing. Remarkably important. But again, it's bills like this from government that are ultimately trying to not really help parents, but circumvent parents and be the long arm of government and the soft hand of government, so they would like to think. And and the parent will just blindly accept it and say, yay, we're taking our rights back because now we can go to a school board meeting and throw this law into their face if it becomes law, which it probably won't, certainly not under the fake president, uh, Biden. But either way, it's just perpetuating the problem. It's just kicking the can down the road. The biggest issue and the biggest move that people have to make is to leave permanently. So let's listen to this dimwit from uh, the NEA and their NEA Today Instagram page, and we'll see what they have to say. I'm sure they'll make a ton of sense. I'm kidding. So give this audio a listen in three, two, one. The House of Representatives is scheduled to vote on H.R. 5 this week. Three things you need to know. Number one, H.R. 5 is part of a right-wing agenda to politicize what our students learn. They want to censor education and ban books. The bill supporters want to stop our students from learning about things like slavery and the Trail of Tears and learning about historical figures like Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, Harvey Milk, and Anne Frank. Number two. H.R. 5 is part of a right-wing agenda to divide parents and educators. Politicians like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and Marjorie Taylor Greene want to use this issue to gain votes and use it as a wedge. Instead of focusing on what's important, they are trying to distract other elected officials from what students really need, like fully funded schools, protection from gun violence, and solutions to educator shortages. Number three. We need you to take action and reach out to your representative in the House. The more our elected officials hear from us, the more they know we mean business. We have to stop this harmful legislation now. To take action, go to nea.org slash HR5. Well, well, well. What do you say I provide a bit of an education for old, what's her name here? Kim Trinka, the Government Relations Manager of the National Education Association. It would be my pleasure, Kim. It would be my absolute pleasure. Let's see. 
it would give parents the right to get rid of books, books about people like Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, Harvey Milk, and Anne Frank. Oh, wow. Well, you open the door, I'm going to walk right through it. First of all, yes, we do want to get rid of those books. We want to get rid of books just like that for a variety of reasons. And what are those reasons? Well, most of the books written about them are pure propaganda, evil propaganda, deceptive propaganda. That's the point. Martin Luther King was a womanizing individual. He would set out his goons and the other people that he uh, associated with, like the Jesse Jacksons of the world, and procure white women who were on the streets, whether they be prostitutes or young ladies, and have their way with them in hotel rooms. He was also a socialist, not in the national socialist kind of way as in Germany back in the day, but uh, as a stepping stone toward communism, ladies and gentlemen, that, that was Martin Luther King in a nutshell. Rosa Parks, uh, she was a communist, a card-carrying communist, and a tool of the CIA. That's a fact. So, there's that. Harvey Milk, same thing. And he was gay. He was on the uh, Board of Supervisors, I believe, in San Francisco, and a gay rights activist. Anti, he battled anti-gay initiatives and blah, blah, blah. And, of course, sent that entire city into a, uh, well, we know, don't we? We know. Anyway, that's, uh, that's the NEA, ladies and gentlemen. They hate you. That's the lesson there. The article does continue, and it says, What parents don't believe in. Now they're telling... They're telling parents what they do and do not believe in. It says, additionally, in a 2022 poll by the National Public Radio, oh, okay, NPR put out a poll. Must be accurate. It says, it found that 76% of parents said that the child's school does a good job of keeping them informed about the curriculum, including potentially controversial topics. So says NPR. Who listens to these people? It's, it's as if they have no idea that all of their surveys that they put out from these left-wing lunatic organizations could possibly be altered in any way or biased in any way. It's nuts. Again, as we know, the NEA's job is to push the degenerate agenda. That's the entire point. It's backed by the Kazarian Mafia, they're funded by the Kazarian Mafia, and they're funded by all of the lunatic teachers who are tools of the Kazarian Mafia. That's the whole point. You're not going to find that book in a, in a K-12 library either, I guarantee it. Yikes, it's exhausting. It's just exhausting. But they're openly admitting, ladies and gentlemen, that they hate you, that if you're a parent, they hate you, and that if you send your children to a school, they hate you. It's that simple. Endless audio exists, countless audios of administrators and teachers openly stating that there's no way that a parent knows more about how to teach their child than the school environment itself and teachers themselves. Parents aren't qualified. They don't have the educational background that a teacher has. The language they use is so insulting. That should be enough to cause a mass exodus, you would think, but apparently it takes a little bit more. So let me provide you another example of what you would think would be 
more than enough. This, of course, has everything to do with Oxford, Michigan, and the Crumbly shooting. This was sent to me by Jesse James, and this comes from the Facebook channel or uh, Facebook page, I guess, the Oxford Citizens for Parental Rights. There's a post and then a couple of responses that he sent me. It says uh, The initial post says this, quote, How does at everyone feel about the district staff having governmental immunity in regard to the shooting? I have a follow-up question after hearing your responses. And then here's the two responses. Number one, it says if the government can just declare immunity for itself at any time, then we have no representation or rule of law anymore. They can literally get away with murder or murder by proxy and declare some reason for immunity. This is an absurd abuse of power. And then the second response says the following, quote, What I heard from is that the government doesn't have to protect our kids because they're untouchable anyway. So good luck, parents. Thanks for the tax money, unquote. Yeah. Again, the issue of government immunity from individuals who work for the government, I know, has been brought up before. I also know specifically that this is something that's been brought up regarding elected officials, like school board members. Like they can't be held criminally liable for something that goes on inside of the building, even if they themselves were directly involved in either covering it up or trying to downplay it or whatever it may be. But as you heard me say again from the very beginning of this entire incident back in 2021, that it was the counselor inside of the building who had direct contact with Ethan Crumbly. He's the one who should, again, I'm sure he's been fired, and if he hasn't, that's an abomination, but he's the one who should be brought up on some kind of a charge regarding a breach of contract or whatever it may be. Negligence, I don't know. Again, not a lawyer, don't know all the ins and outs, but who has been held accountable other than the occasional resignation and then these people just walk away? Not to mention all of the money that was being funneled into that. Was it being used for legal defenses? Probably. Was it being used for other reasons that were nefarious, like, oh, I don't know, going directly into the pockets of people who were maybe involved or... Uh, you know, make, making sure that the individuals who decided to resign got a little extra under the table, probably. In any case, it's all disgusting. And that should be more proof, again, that these systems are going to do whatever they have to do to circle the wagons to make sure that they protect themselves and, uh, and, and keep the truth as far away from parents as humanly possible. So even more from Michigan here, Jesse James also sent me this. I believe this is where his daughters go. Western Michigan University. This is from their Instagram page. Can't make this up. As you heard me say in a previous episode where he was sending me information, it had to do with fingerprint scanning in order to access their food account and the amount of money that they have in their account for food and other things, dining halls, etc., etc. They've... Uh, They've apparently decided, based on I'm sure some public pushback and numerous complaints, that they uh, 
they've decided to take things into a more severe measure. So again, this is directly from Western Michigan University's Instagram account, and it says the following, quote, No card? Question mark? No problem. Leave anxiety about losing or forgetting your Bronco card in the past. Hashtag WMU's Valley Dining Center has introduced a new biometric touchless entry system. Simply wave your hand across, across a reader instead of swiping your Bronco card to access meal plans plus dining dollars. This new system is more sanitary, secure, and convenient. Plus, we will make the entrance to the VDC much quicker and easier. Or it will make the entrance much quicker and easier. Unquote. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, because swiping your hand over top of a meter is somehow better in the short and long term than reaching your pocket and pulling out a card and swiping it. They want all of your handprints, fingerprints, and all of your personal identifying information on record. That's the point here. This is the next step in paying for things. It's not necessarily the chip in your hand, but they're using your handprint now in order to pay for stuff. This is beyond a slippery slope. This does not go in a good direction. This will never go in a good direction. Uh, and of course, as you heard me say, and based on what they wrote, they're selling it again as secure and convenient. It's a convenience, ladies and gentlemen. Just, you know, just go along with it. Just swipe your hand across the thing that's going to, oh, I don't know, fill your hand with radiation or God knows what else. And we'll make sure and get your entire handprint. And then we'll be able to, uh, you know, use that in the future for a social credit score of some kind. And it's all downhill from there. But don't worry, welcome to Western Michigan University. I just don't think that these games and gimmicks exist in online education, do they? I mean, I know they have their own uh, idiosyncrasies, I'm sure. But this kind of stuff is, is ridiculous. It's beyond ridiculous. It's just the normalization of not just insanity, but again, they're trying to get them used to this because they believe that it's going to exist out in the workforce, quote unquote, or out in normal society. And yes, you should start waving your hand in front of anything in order for it to do something like open a door and, I mean, we've been doing it to flush toilets for a long time, haven't we? Those scanners that, uh, that scan you as you're walking away and then the toilet flushes. It's, God, it's, it's all the same stuff. It's all the same programming. But speaking of university insanity, and we've heard about this year after year, and it is that time of year after all where graduation is coming up. So it's, a, you know, it's pretty much par for the course that a story like this makes the news yet again. This comes from The Blaze, and it is titled, Michigan University to Host Five Separate Graduation celebrations, quote-unquote, based on race and sexual orientation. This is Grand Valley State University, located in Allendale, Michigan, just a few miles west of Grand Rapids, now offers a graduation celebration for students who identify as Asian, Black, Latino, AX, slash A, slash X, whatever the hell that means, 
Latino A, Latino X, Latin X, Latin A. I don't know. Dumb. Uh, Native American or LGBTQIA+. Which means what are you supposed to do if you're straight and white? Are you allowed to graduate if you're straight and white? Why does anybody think this is legal? It says LGBTQAI plus students or ostensibly students who identify as any sexual orientation other than heterosexual may attend what has been dubbed the Lavender Graduation. You mean the Sodomite Graduation? Uh, it continues, it says, at this celebration, the Milton E. Ford LGBT Resource Center will award one such GVSU student with the Outstanding Alphabet Soup Graduate Award, given to honor a member of the Alphabet Soup community who has excelled in leadership and academically during their time at Grand Valley. I bet that person looks like they are a member of a circus. <laughs> what do you think? That person comes up to the microphone to get their, their neat little medal and their plaque. What color do you think their hair is? I bet they've never seen the sun either. The Lavender graduation will be held in the Pierre Marquette room, or Marquis room, probably, of the Kirkhoff Center uh, that room appears to be just named after Francis Jacques Marquet, Marquette, I don't know, the 17th century French Jesuit missionary, credited with founding at least two Michigan cities. Well, he was a Jesuit, so problems there. The lavender and race-based graduations at GSVU are offered in addition to the university commencement ceremonies. Okay. So they have one for everybody, and then they break it down based on your uh, particular race or perversion. Well, that's good. Good for them. Again, ladies and gentlemen, you know, I, I'm a broken record on this. These places are going to be for the criminally insane. It's that simple. Only crazy people must go there. I, I can't I can't imagine there not being at the very least one person who says this is completely ridiculous and totally unnecessary. The only I would say it's not going to matter one way or another. In fact, it'll just make these university env environments more insolvent than they already are, but the one silver lining is if legislators around the country start to make the diversity, equity, and inclusion and the, and the critical theories and all of that stuff illegal. If they continue to do that, they're going to have to get rid of the majors. They're going to have to get rid of the professors who were teaching those subjects to begin with. Unfortunately, those professors probably can't be fired, which means they're going to have to move around to other departments, and that's going to get crazy because those departments probably aren't going to want them around either. And then they're going to start giving those uh, particular professors jobs within those departments based on their interests. Well, what are you interested in? Well, of all the subjects that exist on planet Earth, which one interests you the most? Is it business? Is it science? Is it education? And yes, ladies and gentlemen, if they're not in the teacher education department already, I guarantee they will end up there as a result. But 
legislation has to move forward to help make these places insolvent. What we can't have is some kind of a government bailout of these colleges and universities that are doing all of this. In fact, we shouldn't have a bailout of any of them whatsoever. I just found out not that long ago that Miami University is at least 26, 000, I'm sorry, $26 million in debt. Million. $26 million in debt. I remember it being more than that back in the day. I thought it was closer to like $32 million. But either way, no one is here. No one attends. The place is empty. And uh, they continue to renovate buildings and put new new buildings and parking garages up. And I'm saying to myself again, for who exactly? Who do they actually think is going to show up here? Just the criminally insane. The double, triple jabbed. And we know how that's going to end for them. This is, this is nuts. But it's that time of year. It's also prom season. Don't forget that. Don't forget all the uh, all the prom dance nonsense that's going to come out here in the coming months. Billy wants to wear a dress and got kicked out for wearing a dress. Or this girl wore this and it was too risque and they couldn't do it. And oh, it needs to make Fox and Friends in the morning because what a pressing issue. It's, <laughs> it's so pathetic. It's the, it's the butt of a joke. Education is the butt of every joke that exists. And this is just more proof of it. It just continues to be more proof. Embarrassing. Where'd you graduate from? Uh, Grand Valley State University? You're a crazy person. You're a crazy person then. And that leads me actually right into this. And this is interesting. This was also sent to me by a listener. And you know who you are. And thank you for listening to the show. And thank you for sending that. This, this leads into a much larger societal job slash economic problem. And uh, this is an article that comes from the Daily Clout. And it is titled, The Collapse of Women's Health and Work. And uh, this particular individual who sent this to me was describing again how countless workforces and and workplaces, rather, within the workforce are hiring young, inexperienced, and brainwashed goons as opposed to older women who are more established, knowledgeable, mature, and know what's going on. That those women are being passed over as opposed to the younger generation, because again, they figure, well, if they're younger, then they can pay them less, and they'll uh, have less health problems, and maybe they'll be at work more often, therefore it won't cost us as a company or an organization a whole lot more money. Of course, joke's on them, because you can assume that the vast majority of the individuals who are younger entering the workforce now are jabbed. So how's that going to work? Uh, this is a lengthy article from the Daily Cloud. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but again, it dives directly into that specific topic that I just mentioned, and I'll just kick it off, and here we go. It says, the World Health Organization, United Nations, UNICEF, non-governmental organizations, and governments are all publicly promoting equity, inclusiveness, and diversity. At the same time, these organizations were leading lockdowns and mandates that disadvantaged women disproportionately, especially those with a low salary in health and income. Many of the women who lost paid work have not returned to paid work. It says also among the employed, Canadians' disability rises 
and the highest prevalence during the pandemic for women aged 16 to 54 years. For decades, it's been known that women are more likely to have health limitations over their lifetime. Moreover, the emergence of the COVID-19 pandemic, there was no pandemic, has created an environment where more determinants of poor mental health are exacerbated for women. Uh, Disaggregated data on the highest excess mortality and disabilities in women worldwide can be expected. Psychological stress, fatigue, exhaustion, and high toxin exposure are associated with poor liver function and immunological aging. Immune aging can promote cancer, heart disease, and other related inflammatory conditions and reduce the effectiveness of vaccines by an overrepresentation of uh, sentient cells, if I'm saying that right, and less naive cells. Not a virus, but a weakened immune system has become the highest risk for public health caused by, a ver- by various pandemic measures suppressing a healthy human physiology. Well, first of all, there's no such thing as a healthy vaccination. That's number one. Uh, And they get into a couple other things here which are not necessarily accurate, like long COVID. But it does say chronic psychological stress, of course, is a major uh, contributor as well. And they assume, again, they're making the assumption that it's among some older women. But as it turns out now... It's the whack job, uh, the whack job young kids that are coming from the Grand Valley State Universities that are the real problem. It says long COVID also, which we know there's no such thing. That's just vaccine injury or bioweapon injury. Drug side effects. Uh, it has been proven that women take more prescription drugs than men, certainly for psychological reasons as well. Uh, let's see. Vaccine drug interference, the two of them playing off of one another. Of course, it's a bioweapon, and if a person takes prescription drugs on top of that, that's not a nice combination. And yeah, licensed practicing nurses, mRNA vaccine should be halted immediately, it then wraps up and says, along with transformative change for a healthy world. I have to tell you, this is such a massive rabbit hole. This is huge. This is connected to so many facets of our society that uh, it's very difficult to grasp. The workforce is crumbling nationwide. We know that. We're seeing it. We're reading it. We're, we're looking at the patterns. We're connecting the dots. The numbers are there. More people are sick today than ever before. It's not long COVID. It's the bioweapon and the people who took the bioweapon. And then, of course, you compound that with the fact that People aren't getting younger as time goes on, and prescription drug use at the exact same time, not to mention the poisons that they put in food and so on and so forth. But it's the shedding also. To bring it back to what I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode, it is the shedding. These people have no idea how dis-ease spreads from person to person. These environments don't get it. None of them. Small doctor's offices, large hospitals, schools, nursing homes, it does not matter. It could be a a very small office building. The shedding is a very real thing. And the reason that we're in this situation ultimately is not just because of evil people, but it's because of the lies that we have been told. 
It's because of the inability of people to think on their own, do real research, look things up, and just for a moment be curious about the 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 chance, just the simple chance that we might be wrong about what we were taught in school and that we might want to look something up, like how disease really spreads or is virology real? These are the questions that people should be asking themselves. And they're not even asking themselves these things. And as you've heard me say, the death of curiosity is it. When a person stops being curious about everything, it's game over. So I'm not, I'm not sure what else I can add that, that I haven't already brought up here on the show. But again, I'm, I'm not dooming here. I, just, I, don't, I don't see the situation getting better until people start to realize what they've done. And I don't think they're going to realize what they've done until it's too late. You know, we have individuals, for example, who are not jabbed. And I'll give you a, a, one quick example. There's a, uh, it's a daughter of a friend of mine who works in a doctor's office. And, uh, and they have been shed on. They are not jabbed, and they're the only person in the doctor's office who is not jabbed. But they've been shed on. And they were last week. So... I was asked if I could provide supplements and ivermectin and a few other things to this individual to to help them heal up and get better. And I said, absolutely. In fact, I told the individual, my friend, I said, I'd be happy to give you any of this anytime you need it or somebody you know needs it. And her, her daughter needed it. So I gave it to her. And apparently it's worked, which is great. Again, ivermectin and multi multivitamins and supplements and a little bit of charcoal and a few other things. And uh, natokinase, I believe I, I may be even tossed in there. I'm not entirely sure, but it worked. The problem is, is that once, once they are well again, they're going to have to go right back into that environment in order to make a living. And it's the people who work there who are jabbed, again, double or triple jabbed, would think to themselves that they aren't the problem. But that's because, again, they don't understand how dis-ease spreads. This is such this is such a gigantic lie that the brainwashing is really the bigger problem too. And I just don't think that those who are jabbed who work within these environments even if well I should say this even if they come to grips with what they've done they can't reverse it. They just can't. Even if even if an administrator of a hospital says, oh my God, I've just learned that viro- you know, virology isn't real and uh, these shots have always been poison regardless of the kinds of shots that we give and the kinds of shots that people take and electromagnetism is how illness spreads or dis-ease spreads from person to person. How on earth do we manage this environment now with all these jab people walking around shedding on one another? I mean, th- they're going to have to explain that to somebody. And who are they going to explain that to? The jabbed? Are they, as, as an awake administrator, going to walk around to all of the people who listened to this person from the word go? And now all of a the sudden they're going to go, well, um, okay, so we're all going to die from these shots and we're all making each other sick now because we have compromised immune systems. So now we're just supposed to believe you on this? You're talking about a course reversal that is mentally and emotionally impossible for so many. 
not to mention from a business standpoint, the business would collapse. It would cease to exist. Let me read you this too, because this is bizarre. And this proves the brainwashing, I think. This comes directly from Reddit, which should tell you all you need to know about the brainwashing. Uh, but this is, this is an actual human, and I have to assume this is a real post written by a real person. It's lengthy, but it's worth it. And again, it will show you how, how lost these people are. And my God, are they lost. Uh, it is titled, Is It Worth Me Getting My Fourth Dose? When I get really bad reactions, never had COVID yet, very keen to avoid it, details inside. It says the following, quote, I live with two very vulnerable people. So as soon as we heard about COVID, I've had to pretty much sacrifice my social life. I've been out to indoor restaurants only two times since COVID started. Almost no social events at all, unless outdoors and limited people. And only visited friends' houses about five times. Lost my fitness, and I'm an amateur athlete. Social life and career aspirations trying to, trying to avoid COVID. Many people got frustrated with me, not attending things, and stopped inviting me understandable, I guess. I want to get that back now, because at some point this is actually becoming untenable for my mental health. I need a life, and I need people in it. I have started to at least go to the supermarket. Previously, I was only shopping online by going late at night with a mask on. One of one of the vulnerable people in my house actually contracted COVID, and I managed to not catch it from them. They now go out and about to tons of functions with lots of people, so I'm not even really helping them by doing this anymore. The other vulnerable person is still being very careful, but probably less than me. Needless to say, I'm super pro-vax and was the second person I know to get my first two doses. Well, good for you. First dose knocked me around for a few days, but the second shot made me so sick I almost went to the hospital. I woke up in the middle of the night aggressively shaking, like a spasm all over my body, with a high fever and horrible headache. I couldn't stop my legs from shaking. It was so painful because my leg muscles were getting so sore and tired, but they just wouldn't stop shaking. I had to get someone in my house up by yelling, couldn't move. And they had to come in and literally sit on my legs so they'd stop shaking. They also gave me Panadol and Nuferin, if I'm saying that right, probably not, and a wet towel over my face and sat with me for 45 minutes until my shaking turned into more typical feverish chills. I was then sick with high fever, horrible pains and chills, and extremely uh, lethargic for four days. Needless to say, I was pretty scared to get my third dose, but thankfully it was less severe than the second dose. I had a mild fever, bad aches, and sickness for three to four days. Well, you've just poisoned yourself for the third time. So, it continues, and it says, It's now been over one year since that third dose. I haven't caught COVID for my own sanity. I need to start doing activities that pose the risk of catching it. I'm traveling interstate in a week, and 
a half for the first time, and I will be at social events too. I cannot avoid this anymore. I really want to be as protected as I can, but I keep reading that boosters don't make any difference to likelihood of hospitalization or protection from actual infection. So it is so is it actually worth it? I am so scared of having the bad reaction again, but also so scared of giving co- of getting covid rather. Is it worth it? Unquote. You cannot fix that. That's something you can't fix. The entire lie has driven this person to poison themselves three times. They're not going to survive. They've given themselves copious amounts of mental and emotional disorders, agoraphobia being one of them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I got nothing else on that. That's not, that's not a survivable situation. That, that, that individual is not going to make it. You cannot walk through life believing copious amounts of lies throughout your life and expect to survive. The television lies, the radio lies, I, I don't know what else I don't know what else to add. It's so sad. And you again you it's it's sad but it's so plausible. That situation has to be real. I mean it's you know it's always likely that somebody gets on those boards and just anonymously makes up a story but it's too real. It's too real. That had to have happened. That has to be a real person. So people just aren't going to get it and it's going to be too late for many. Uh, which leads me to this now, too. AJ Gochik sent me this uh, through uh, basically over text message. And uh, he answers a, a previous question that I had, which is an interesting answer. It makes sense now that I think about it. And, uh, and then he has a, a quick little jab story. He said the following. He said, quote, you were wondering how Steve Kirsch puts out so many Substack articles on his page. And I course, brought that up in a previous episode because he, he pumps them out every single day, numerous articles a day. Uh, AJ said that he has several people re- researching and working for him. Some are volunteers. I know one who occasionally writes for his subs for his Substack page, Ghostwriters. So that makes sense. How else how else could he possibly do it? Uh, and then he said this. He said, finally, another jab related story. I'm remodeling the first floor of our house with a few contractors. One of the contract workers' 50-year-old female cousins died on St. Patrick's Day, diagnosed a week earlier with stage 4 metastasized pancreatic cancer, died within days after that, complained to her husband that she wasn't feeling good a month ago. I asked the contractor if she was vaccinated. He paused. Didn't get a firm answer but said he thinks so. Then I told him about the connection between the vaccines and cancer. He didn't know. The look on his face said it all. Unquote. Yeah. Again, for, for us, the dots are on top of each other. There's no need to connect them. But for so many, the dots are so far away that they're not even considering a connection. They're not even considering it. I just think that that's always going to be a present thing that that continues to go on. There's always going to be a percentage, whatever percentage that may be, of individuals that 
won't make the connect won't make the connections regardless of who passes away and regardless of whether or not it happens to them personally or not i just don't think that they're going to be able to make it and again here's another example of a connection that people aren't making the covid tests all those antigen tests you know spit spit on this little piece of paper and then cram it into into this little plastic thing spend uh 25 some odd dollars for a couple of tests and it'll tell you if you have quote unquote covid there are people that still buy these there are people that always believe that these work and this is their this was their way of figuring out that they in fact have quote unquote covid or not again jokes on them they're jabbed it's covid does not exist it's not a thing it's just poison in a syringe and then people shedding on one another and then of course people poisoning themselves a second third fourth fifth time and uh yeah i don't i don't know what else to add um this however again is is from abc and it is titled owner of covid testing company accused of defrauding the united states government out of 83 million dollars this zishan alvi is also accused of giving patients false negative test results. All of the COVID tests are fake. Doesn't matter if it's a PCR test, an antigen test, a blinking test, or a written test. Doesn't matter if it's multiple choice or essay. They're all fake. None of them are real. They're all predetermined, and uh, none of them are legit. But there are people, again, who still buy them and still believe that they are real and telling them that they have COVID. It's, uh, it's remarkably sad. Remarkably sad. Okay. Uh, a couple of peer-reviewed articles hot off the press, and this is a, a continuing pattern, of course, that we're continuing to see regarding these particular articles being published. However, there's an unfortunate aspect to these two, which is becoming more prevalent as I'm noticing. And it's not a it's not a good pattern. It has to do with the fact that the entire article has to do with someone who's been jabbed and the ill health effects that they have as a result. But then at the basically within the conclusion of the article, they say, yes, the jab had something to do with it, but we don't think that the jab has everything to do with it. It's it's beyond perplexing. This one is titled, again, from March 14th of this year, published uh, PubMed Central, again, NIH, all that stuff. Uh, let's see. It is titled Subacute Monomelic uh, Radiculoplexus Neuropathy Following the Comirnaty Bio, uh, BioNTech Pfizer COVID-19 Vaccination, a Case Report. A 48-year-old man was admitted to our neurological unit for evaluation of sensory motor deficient of the lower right limb. Uh, this patient had a history of obstructive sleep apnea syndrome treated with mandibular advancement orthotic and had no history of diabetes. He doesn't take any medication. Moreover, he presented with a benign SARS-CoV-2 infection in March of 2020 and received a first injection of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine on January 20th of 2021. After that, he experienced the sudden onset of 
Aphthesia, if I'm saying that right, probably not, in the anterior part of his lower right limb. Paralysis, I believe. Uh, I'm just going to skip to the conclusion because this is the giveaway. It says the following, quote, Here we present a case of subacute lumbosacral NA following the Pfizer shot in a 48-year-old patient. No triggering factor was found apart from this vaccination. It says the patient fully recovered after treatment with intravenous immunoglobulins. Although the vaccine seemed to have been the triggering factor, the causality cannot be affirmed. Furthermore, it is important to note that this case report does not call into question the effectiveness or benefit-risk balance of SARS-CoV-2 vaccination, unquote. The guy's leg was paralyzed. He was paralyzed in his lower limbs. And then, you know, they gave him some, uh, some drugs, some immunosuppressant things, apparently, and then he regained feeling in his legs. They say it was the vaccine, and then in the very next sentence they say, but we don't think the vaccine was the sole cause. When was the last time you met somebody who was paralyzed from the legs down randomly? Just randomly, walking around, and then they went, oh my God, my legs are like Gumby, and then they fall down. (laughs) It doesn't happen. The jab is the only cause. It's the only cause. That's the first one. Here's the second one. Again, same journal uh, from earlier in the month, March March 7th. It is titled Primary Cardiac Mesothelioma Presenting with Fulfillment, I'm sorry, Filminant Recurrent Pericarditis, a case report. Skipping down a little ways here, a uh, 22-year-old man who presented with recurrent pericarditis in large pericardial effusion two months after a second BioNTech162B2 COVID-19 vaccine underwent pericarditis, no way I got that right, and pericardial window heart surgery. Uh, There, simple definition, heart surgery. Pathology specimen, uh, specimen of pericardium revealed benign mesothelial inflammation consistent with acute pericarditis. Four months later, he presented with a large pericardial mass manifesting in heart failure and underwent urgent pericardectomy, a new pathology specimen immunostaining and fluorescence in situ, if I'm saying that right, hybridization analysis revealed pericardial mesothelioma. Despite intensive care, the patient died three, week, three weeks later. Uh, I'm, uh, again, they've got a lot of x-rays and then pictures of the guy's para, pericardial layer. It's, uh, you know, I'm not a heart doctor. But uh, I know a bad piece of meat when I see one, and that doesn't look good. Let me see here. Uh, Conclusion. Primary pericardial mesothelioma should be considered in the differential diagnosis of refractory recurrent pericarditis, even with prior biopsy-proven pericarditis. Extensive pericardial involvement by the pericardial malignancy can mimic pericardial effusion on cardiac imaging, which can be particularly misleading if the patient did have also 
previously documented pericardial effusion as illustrated in the case, unquote. See how they avoid the jab in the conclusion? Well, we think he, he previously had a heart condition. Uh, we, we're not 100% sure if it was before or after uh, the jabs, but we're not going to mention the jab in the conclusion because we don't want to give anybody the idea that it was jab-related. Again, if it's not jab-related, why would you mention the jab in the case summary? Seems, you know, seems interesting. Uh, it's mentioned in the discussion. It's mentioned in the introduction. It's mentioned in every portion of, of this article that he was jabbed. So what else could it possibly be? Uh, I got to tell you, it's just, it's heartbreaking. But it continues. This also was from Technofog from this past week, uh, from his substack, the, Re- the Reactionary. I'm assuming Technofog's a guy. Lawyer. Um, it's titled the CDC's Vaccine Misinformation List. The health agency kept tabs on those critical of COVID-19 vaccines, which, of course, I brought up previously with the uh, Matt Taibbi Twitter files. And they were looking for keywords among the un, or the anti-vaxxed, so to speak, and they have a list of what those keywords were. If you were saying or typing things like medical freedom, personal choice, the word vaccine, vaccine death, vaccine injury, vaccine illness, it was social media coming after these people. A lot of examples that they li- that, that he lists here, and uh, a lot of a lot of people from TikTok, people from Instagram. Twitter, of course, the list goes on. Now, as far as government is concerned, of course, when it comes to COVID documents and all of them, I'm, I'm sure, now being released because apparently Biden signed signed the release of them, they, of course, are going to be redacted to no end. And I think that those arguments are just going to be worthless because in the end, you're talking about government arguing with itself over what it's releasing to the public as if they're going to release the truth to the public. We cannot sit around, ladies and gentlemen, and expect the government to tell us the truth about the fact that they created poisons and helped other agencies as well create endless poisons that they just cram into syringes and then shoot into people and then send those people out and about in order to uh, make other people ill. On top of that, what people refer to as COVID was most certainly in the flu shot back in 2019. So the people who got the flu shot in 2019, if the next season rolled around and they were around other individuals who were also jabbed with that same kind of flu shot, well, they got sick and they thought it was COVID. I got COVID. A a faulty test said so. But I want to end with this audio. And this was Rand Paul the other day. Again, not a huge Rand Paul fan because he's slow rolling this. If I were in the Senate, I would be bashing everybody in the room over the head with the truth on a constant basis, but that will never happen. Too bad for America. Uh, But either way, this is Rand Paul going after the CEO of Moderna, and this guy is dumber than a bag of forks, but he's lying through his teeth. He, he He knows he's lying, and he looks like a guy who's lying. Uh, it's tough to tough to tell through the audio again without seeing his actual face, but he claims his own children are at least three or four times vaccinated. 
and he believes that myocarditis is more common among people who had COVID, quote unquote, than people who received the shot. So give this audio a listen, and I'll uh, jump in on the other end for just a few final comments. Benzel, uh, Moderna recently paid NIH $400 billion. Do you believe it creates a conflict of interest for the government employees who are making money now off of the vaccine to also be dictating the policy about how many times we have to take the vaccine? Good morning, Senator. Uh, indeed, you recently made, a, before Christmas last year, a $400 million payment to the NIH for uh, an old patent that they had developed, not related to COVID, but usefully the development of COVID vaccine uh, to, to prevent for their work. Uh, it's for the U.S. government to assess how that money should Do you think be it creates a conflict of interest for the same people deciding the policy of how often we have to take the vaccine to also be making money the more times we take the vaccine? Yes or no? This is for the government to decide. You have no opinion on whether or not it creates a conflict of interest. Is there a higher interest or a higher incidence of myocarditis among adolescent males 16 to 24 after taking your vaccine? So thank you for the question, Senator. First, let me say we care deeply about safety and we're working closely with the CDC and the FDA. To Pretty much a yes or no. Is there a higher incidence of myocarditis among boys 16 to 24 after they take your vaccine? The data I've shown actually, I've seen, sorry, from the CDC actually shown that there's less myocarditis for people who get the vaccine versus who get the COVID infection. You're, you're saying that for ages 16 to 24 among males who take the COVID vaccine, their risk of myocarditis is less than people who get the disease. That is my understanding. That is not true. And I'd like to enter into the record six peer-reviewed papers from the Journal of Vaccine the annals of medicine that say the complete opposite of what you say. I also spoke with your president just last week, and he readily acknowledged in private that, yes, there is an increased risk of myocarditis. The fact that you can't say it in public is quite disturbing. Do you think it's scientifically sound to mandate three vaccines for adolescent boys? This is for the public health leaders to decide. You've been advocating for it. You've been interviewed and you've been advocating for boosters. Do you know when the myocarditis is most common among these adolescent boys after the second dose? When I spoke with your president, he readily acknowledged in private yeah, that maybe there ought to be a discussion whether we ought to have one vaccine versus two versus three. If 90% of the myocarditis comes after the second dose, why don't we have a rational discussion about one? Marty McCary, a physician from Johns Hopkins, has said exactly the same thing. It's been discussed, and yet we have this ridiculous notion from the CDC. So the CDC says, and I'll ask you this question. Let's start it as a question. Your 16-year-old's had COVID. Your 16-year-old gets better and now has recovered from COVID. You vaccinate them, and they get myocarditis. Are you going to give them two more vaccines? Your child, give them two more vaccines? I'm not a clinician. I will have to discuss. You have children. I do. Have you vaccinated your children? I have. How many times? Three or four times. Three or four times. So the this. CDC recommends this, and, you know, you're obviously someone who's self-interested in the outcome here. But the CDC says that if your 15, 16-year-old gets COVID, recovers, takes a vaccine and gets myocarditis, is hospitalized with elevated heart enzymes and is very sick. The CDC says as soon as he gets better, vaccinate him again. You know how many American parents think that that's a rational, reasonable thing to do? Do you know how many countries don't do this for children? 
Uh, Sweden doesn't offer the vaccine for kids under 12 unless they're at risk for severe disease. And I agree with that. I'm not saying never on any of this. I think it's a very reasonable position to say kids at risk or have some diseases that there may be a reason for vaccinating some children. Finland doesn't recommend it for under 12 months. Norway also. England as well. France, Poland, Germany, Switzerland, and all vaccinate 12 and up. So we got half the world who have looked at these studies. There's a study in Israel of thousands of patients, and yet you sit here and act as if you've never heard of myocarditis, and you don't think it's an increased risk for young adolescent males, when all of the studies who isolate out people by age have found that, yes, there's an increased risk after taking your vaccine. Pfizer, too, but worse with Moderna. There's an increased risk, Senator. I was comparing it to somebody who gets COVID. Well, that's also not true either. But there's an increased risk of getting it. But even when they compare it to the disease, there are many papers out there who do, that do show that there's more of a risk of myocarditis after vaccination. So you have to weigh the risk and balances. And you are right. You're going to make less money because you're going to try. And they're already trying. The CDC's got it on their schedule. They're going to try to force all the kids in America to do this through school. But guess what? Parents aren't going to do it. They've seen that COVID is not deadly in children, and you're right. It's become less deadly over time. Your market's going down, so you aren't going to make as much money. I'm all for you making money in an honest way, but I don't like the idea that the people making the decisions in government are also receiving money and are now conflicted in their interest. Again, everything that the Moderna CEO said is a lie, and uh, he was grilled for over two and a half hours. I think it's time to get Albert Borla in there from Pfizer. Let's hear his fat, stupid face talking about, you know, how his jabs don't hurt anybody and it's uh, a medical revolution and uh, a revolution in science and we've helped countless amounts of people and blah, blah, blah. You know he'll say whatever he has to say, but I just want to see his stupid face sweat because, again, you you have individuals on both sides of the proverbial aisle trying to make it look like they're holding these people accountable to something. When in fact, I would say at the very least, as as soft as most of them were going after him, uh, at the very least, it's showing that he doesn't know what he's talking about. And, and for the casual observer, you would think that that would be enough to help wake them up. And if that happens, then so be it. But again, the Moderna CEO being on, on Capitol Hill and being questioned didn't get a lot of airplay. Uh, and it certainly didn't get a lot of, of individuals commenting on it too thoroughly. But he sounded like a complete buffoon. If he did, in fact, jab his own children with three or four shots, you'd think you'd know the number. Uh, they're dead. So there's that. And, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what else I can add other than every single CEO of these organizations has to get in front of these losers so that at least someone can, uh, can attempt to hold them accountable to some extent. But I'm telling you, I just think it's going to have to be another entity of some kind that holds them to account and holds them responsible for what they've done. There have to be emails and communications between themselves and other individuals saying, yes, we know that this is hurting people, but continue continue with the pressure. Keep it on. Because we know what the social media companies were doing. We know the communications that they were receiving from the CDC and from the Biden White House and and other people, we know that that was all taking place. It would be next to impossible that the CEOs of these companies wouldn't know what they were doing. They have to. They have to know. So with all that said, ladies and gentlemen, have a great weekend. I will catch you on Monday. Take care.
Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.